Happy New Year. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, so far, so good. New Year, so far, so good. All right. Uh, Today is a day of new beginnings for many people. Maybe it's a day full of hope, a day full of resolutions, or as some of us call them, just changes. We're just going to make some changes. We're not going to do resolutions because resolutions are made to be broken. So we're just going to make some changes this year. Uh, Maybe this is a year where you decide you're going to exercise more or, let's be honest, start exercising. Uh, Maybe it's a year where you're going to start reading your Bible more. And if you didn't pick it up out there in the lobby, we have a gift for you. This is uh, Through the Bible in a Year, and it starts today. So if you need that, if you're an adult or a, a teenager or a child who can read, there you go. Uh, maybe it's to be involved in church more or involved in a small group. Uh, maybe it's to, you know, extend your education. Uh, maybe it's to make more money or spend less money, one of those two. Uh, maybe it's just a year where you have hope, a forward thinking. And uh, today is one of those days where there's a lot of forward thinking. I wonder what the year will hold. I wonder what uh, will, will come to pass over the next year. Uh, my mom, she would always fix black-eyed peas and collard greens on this day. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not from the South. And, uh, and uh, that is something my wife has decided not to keep going in our family. And so we will not have that today. But uh, in case you're wondering, black-eyed peas was to put change in your pocket, and collard greens was to put money in your wallet. And so that was my mom's, you know, just superstition, I guess. She was just a little stitious. Um, Anyways, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The church in Thessalonica was forward-thinking. It was longing for Christ's return. This morning we have sang song after song after song about the Lord's return, and this could be the year. So as Paul writes, if you'll follow along with me, my goal is to get through 11 verses. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ." Who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the light that it is to our path. And we thank you that those of us who have called upon your name are children of light. We thank you that your son will return. And Jesus, we long to see you. Father, we pray that as we enter into 2023, that our hearts will be drawn to you more this year than ever before. Father, I pray over this church that your spirit will be felt more closely than it's ever been felt. That you would shower such grace upon your people that we would be forever changed. 
place a burden within us for those who are lost. Give us incredible boldness to speak truth. Truth and love. Father, when we fail this year, help us to find hope only in you. Father, make us a people who long for your return, who love you genuinely. In Christ's name, amen. Living in light of his return is the series we've been going through. This is a year of new beginnings, but not a new sermon series. So, living in light of his return, because the day of the Lord will come. You know, as I got into this section, there was a lot of different commentaries that I was reading, a lot of different things that I was studying, and a lot of different rabbit holes you could go down about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Let's just talk about trib. Let's just talk about the fact that Jesus will come, okay? So this is what we know, that he will come. And it's not that we know when he's coming, it's that we know he is coming. And it will be the day of the Lord. Throughout Scripture, the day of the Lord, this is a day of judgment. That's the first part I want you to see under this section. The day of the Lord throughout Scripture refers to a special or unique time when God's power and holiness is revealed, terror, bringing terror and death to his enemies. The day of the Lord, as we read in Isaiah 13, 6, says, Well, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Amos 5, 20. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Ezekiel 33, for the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. As we read about the day of the Lord, we see that even as Andrew Young puts it, the day of the Lord, a day of wrath and destruction for rebellious individuals and nations, and at the same time, a day of salvation and deliverance for his people. The day of the Lord will come. Will it come in 2023? We don't know. Times and seasons, that's not for us to know, but we are to know that he will come. The Bible is teaching us that the day of the Lord is where everything is headed. The history is moving forward to a great reckoning for all the evil on earth and for the salvation of people who are called by his name. This is where we're headed. The day of the Lord will come. God has a sovereign plan and a sovereign timeline that is moving toward a sovereign reckoning and a sovereign salvation for those who are his. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 reads this way. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found in them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a coming day of judgment, the day of the Lord. There's a day coming when all that has been done will be exposed and revealed. There's a coming day when a righteous and holy God will hold accountable every human sin, every wicked deed, every impure thought, and every evil intention. There is no escaping the omniscient, all-knowing, eternal, and holy creator. 
What a remarkable thought that the day of the Lord will come. The only way to survive God's judgment, as we've seen, and to avoid this wrath on sin is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. It is by putting our faith in the finished work of Christ and surrendering to his total lordship and having our names written in the book of life. Before I go any further, do you know for sure that your name is written in the book of life? Then it's a joyous day for the day of the Lord. Because it will come like a thief in the night, as we read. Verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Peter also talks about this in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Have you ever had a thief come into your home? Or maybe into your car or into something you possess? It's, it's a really unnerving feeling. I remember when, when we uh, lived here in Harrison, there was a, there was a night where I uh, just parked my car as normal in the driveway and I didn't lock the doors and went to bed and just went, you know, and slept like normal. And when I woke up the next morning, went out to my car and I noticed that someone had tried to rip out the uh, stereo and they stole all my CDs. I mean, all my CDs, right? I mean, I was really upset about it. All my CDs and other things that were in the car, but the guy across the street, he had done the same thing, but he left his keys in his car, and they took the car and went for a joyride, and they found it all burned and, you know, discarded later on, just out of nowhere. Now, had I known that the thief was coming, I would have done my due diligence, and I would have locked my car doors at least, or parked inside the garage, or set up a camera so I could catch that sucker, right? But I didn't do any of that. He came like a thief in the night. I wasn't aware that he was coming. And that's the, that's the thing about Jesus' return. If you knew that he was coming, you'd be prepared. If you knew the time and the night that he was coming or the day he was coming, you'd be prepared. But we're not given the times and the seasons. We just know that he will come suddenly. The enemy of faithful due diligence is unfaithful indifference. And I think that and guys, it's okay if you're a parent in here. It's not bothering me at all, okay? Like, I just want you to know that. This is family worship time, and it's awesome because we are a multi-generational church, and I love to hear it, all right? So if, if you know that there's due diligence that needs to happen, but sometimes we just get caught up in the routines of life, and we don't keep our faithful due diligence, and we have more unfaithful indifference. So Paul would say in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to come as labor pains come. While people were saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. As Matthew records in 24, 36 through 44, but concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. 
For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. As John Stott says, the thief gives no warning and the labor pains give no escape. You know, when the baby decides it's time, it's time, right? You can't negotiate with the baby. You can't tell it, hey, this is kind of inconvenient. And I, you know, if you could just hold off just a little bit longer. No, when the baby decides it's time, it's time. I, I remember when we were waiting on my son to be born, our, our first child, we went to the doctor's appointment that day, and it was just life as normal. And we go in there, and she's, she says, uh, uh, Abby, you're, you're dilated. It's, it's time for you to go to the hospital. And we responded with, so go home and get our bags and pack up and then go to the hospital. And they were like, no, no, like, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go straight to the hospital. Like, it is time. And we were like, but do we have time to, like, grab a snack? And they are like, no, like, you got to go. Like, this is it. And so this is, this is what he's saying here. It's like the point is, when he comes, there's no escaping it. There's no negotiating for a better timeline. There's no saying, hey, but there was a few things I wanted to get done. Well, I meant to pray this prayer. I meant to surrender my life to you. No, when it's time, it's time. As Richard D. Phillips says, the point is that once the contractions begin, the painful labor is inescapable and irreversible. Likewise, once the judgment of God has come, there will, be, there will then be no chance of escaping divine wrath and destruction. J. Philip Author notes, Once the end of all things is upon us, it will be too late for those who have not prepared to escape the inevitable outcome. Are you ready for Christ's return? I mean, if it could happen this year, would you be ready? Have you called on the name of Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life? Have you in repentance confessed of your sins and surrendered your life to Christ? Because he will come. And you won't be able to negotiate a better timeline at that point. Number two, live in light of his return because you are children of light. You are children of light, so stay in the light. Stay in the light, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. We are children of the light. We've been enlightened. We know that he will come. We are anticipating his return. So we're not going to be caught like a thief in the night. So what does it mean to be a child of the light? Well, children of light are in Christ. He's the light of the world. Children of light are enlightened to the truth and push away evil and darkness of their former life. Children of the light are those whose hearts have been warmed to God and who are no longer cold and calloused and sinful. Children of light are now alive and growing in faith and not dead in their trespasses and sins. Children of light are those who have been sanctified by the word of God, which is the light and a lamp unto their path. Children of light are aware that Christ is coming and they are longing for his return. Children of the light are confirmed by their new conduct of living in the light. There is an evidence in our life that we are children of light. As Paul would say in Romans 6, 1 through 4, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. As we talk about obedience, as we talk about this being ready and staying in the light, we talk about obedience. And for many, the first act of obedience is baptism. And, and for the kids and for the students, there's a baptism class, as Matt mentioned, that's coming up. We want those um, kids who are in our care that have made a decision to follow the Lord to clearly understand the decision of, of their making to make their faith public. That they are now saying that I am fully immersed. This is what has taken place in my life. That I am fully united in Christ and I'm dead to my old self and I'm risen to newness of life as scripture tells us here. So I'm not going to walk in sin any longer. I say this because there's some adults. There's some adults who have failed to follow in believer's baptism. Knowing the truth. And maybe in 2023, you say, this is the year that I'm going to be obedient. And so it would be my prayer that you would come talk with me about Baptism as we move into a new year, that we would be fully immersed in Christ and we would show the world our faith as we wait on his return and as we stay awake. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. As Mark 13, 32 through 36 say, but concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father, but only the Father. Be on guard, Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Verse 35, therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. As Warren Wiersbe would say, live expectantly. It means living in light of his return, realizing that our works will be judged and that our opportunities for service on earth will end. It means to live with eternity's values in view. Believers who live in the expectation of the Lord's return will certainly enjoy a better life than Christians who compromise with the world. As we move into a new year, let's not compromise with the world, but let's live expectantly, longing for his return, not sleeping in our faith, because sleeping on our faith allows temptations to rise, sins to rob you, and for Satan to sow evil in your life. We see this in Scripture in Matthew 26, 40 through 41. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When we sleep in our faith, we allow temptations to creep up into our life. As we read about Samson in Judges 16, Delilah, she made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him as the strength left him. For Samson, he, he was sleeping in his faith and allowing himself to even 
lie with what was evil. And in Matthew 13, 24 through 26, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in a field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. We can't afford to sleepwalk through our faith, not noticing that the enemy is coming to sow seeds of small sins that will one day grow up and seek to choke out our faith. So stay awake and stay sober. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. As Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is clear throughout Scripture that drunkenness is a sin. But the drunkenness and the sobriety that is spoken of here is a drunkenness on the world and its system. G.K. Bill says this, to be drunk spiritually is to abide in to abide too much in the world's way of looking at things and not enough in the way God views reality. It's to be intoxicated with the world's wine, is to be numbed to feeling any fear in the present of a coming judgment. As Andrew Young again says, Christians are not to be like others. As unpopular as it may be to stand apart from the crowd, we need to do so. Ours is not to be a lifestyle of slumber and drunkenness, but by contrast, we are to be self-controlled and alert. As John Calvin says, the life of Christians is like a perpetual warfare. He would have us, therefore, be diligently prepared and on the alert for resistance. So I would tell you to be diligently prepared and on alert for resistance by putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Put on these things. The breastplate of faith and love, referred to as the breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians 6. Faith and love are the means by which righteousness is received and then practiced. By faith, we pursue a righteousness that is outside of ourselves. By faith, we learn to love God and love others. This is how we live out the Christian life. And a helmet of hope, of the hope of salvation, the helmet of salvation is the assurance that our salvation is in the finished work of Christ and not in our being good people. At, at some point during the year, we all fail. And then when we take the head blow of doubt because we have failed in sin, the only thing that keeps us sane is the fact that we know that I'm not being judged by my works. I'm being judged by the, the blood of Christ that covers me. It's the hope that we have, the hope of salvation and so finally, live in light of his return because God has not destined us for wrath. This is probably the most encouraging part of this section of scripture. Live in light of his return because when he returns, you're not destined for wrath. The day of the Lord, this day of judgment where everything will be exposed, those who are in Christ, you're not going to receive that wrath because the wrath of sin has been poured out on Jesus Christ in your place. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. This wrath, J.I. Packer 
says the wrath of God is righteous anger, the right reaction of moral perfection in the creator towards moral perversity in the creature. He is a just God, and he cannot let sin go unpunished. Why did Jesus Christ have to put on flesh? He had to put on flesh so that he could die. He had to be able to take the full penalty of our sins. He had to be able to stand in our place as a perfect sacrifice. So how have we escaped the just judgment of God and his wrath upon sin? How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Wow. Why would he die for someone like me? When we forget how sinful we are, we forget how beautiful the gospel is. And when we forget how beautiful the gospel is, we fail to tell people about it. Oh, that this year, we would be a people so captivated by the love of Christ that he would die in my place that I would share it with everyone I come in contact with. For everyone who has confessed the guilt of sin and sought the forgiveness of God by trusting in Jesus' penal substitutionary atonement has been saved from his wrath. Jesus died for us. Jesus died in my place to pay the penalty for my sins. Jesus in my place. And that's why I wait on his blessed return. Let me ask you, are you ready for his return? Do you have an unwavering assurance that you will be found in Christ on that day? Does your changed life and the presence of spiritual fruit assure you of the status you have with the coming king? If not, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you cry out to the Lord. I'm going to end with this quote by Richard Phillips. Many Christians today, having failed to pursue a godly life, they lack the inward signs of true and saving faith. Within ourselves, we do not gain a basis of acceptance with God. This comes only at the cross of Christ. But we can see Jesus' fingerprints on our character and proof of his power in our changed and changing lives. Do you lack joyful assurance of salvation? Do you find yourself fearing the return of Jesus to judge the world? Perhaps the way for you to increase in joy and peace is, first, to look to the cross where Christ took away your sins, and second, to apply yourself to the lifestyle of obedience so that by living for and with Jesus, you may gain assurance that you truly belong to him. It's my prayer that today everyone who hears this leaves with assurance that you're his.